Hello, my name is Claire Heffron and welcome to the Geneva Centre for Security Policy podcast on the latest issues advancing peace, security and international cooperation. You hear the terms Cyber 9-11, Digital Pearl Harbor, but what do policymakers actually do the day after a crisis? The Cyber 9-12 Strategy Challenge is an annual cyber policy competition for students to compete in developing national security policy recommendations, tackling a fictional cyber incident. We had the chance to speak to Chelsea Slack, Deputy Head of Cyber Defence Unit at NATO. And as the global security environment is changing at a fast pace, actors need to move from spending too much time reacting to more proactively identifying the emerging security issues that may affect them. We spoke to Dr. Wendy Schultz, who is the director at Infinite Futures on issues surrounding international security policy. Also, Dr. Bastian Geigerich, director of defense and military analysis at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. The Cyber 912 Strategy Challenge is a competition to give students an understanding of policy challenges associated with potential cyber conflict. We had the chance to interview Ms. Chelsea Slack. Deputy Head of Cyber Defense Unit at NATO. NATO has been on a journey when it comes to, to developing its, its approach to cyber defense. That includes everything from the capabilities uh, to, to the policy questions. The three main pillars you can think of in terms of NATO's mandate in cyber defense. The first has to do with protecting the, the assets that we have, so protecting the networks. Uh, and this is quite a broad uh, footprint, if you like, uh, more than 60 sites. So protecting the information that we have, protecting the networks that we own, that's the first responsibility of NATO when it comes to cyber defense. Second, uh, increasingly, uh, we need to be able to, to operate in this space. We have operations and missions. Cyberspace is now recognized as a domain of operations. So in order to continue to do work uh, in this increasingly uh, digital era, we need to be able to ensure that we're able to operate in this space as well. So that's the second aspect. And then the third uh, pillar of work that we do is as a platform of 29 different countries, uh, we help our allies to, to raise their own national resilience. Of course, it remains a national responsibility uh, to decide how to organize cyber defense nationally, what types of strategies you put in place, how you work with partners. But given that we're an alliance, we try to use it as a platform where allies can raise their overall level of cyber resilience. So in short, the three main goals, protecting what we have, being able to operate in the space and helping our allies to become as resilient as possible. We initially began recognizing the cyber threat and setting up our capabilities, for example, the NATO incident, computer incident response capability, way back in 2002, but we took very much a technical approach to the issue. What is your approach when it comes to the future of cyber? As we've seen uh, various geopolitical developments, be it in Estonia in 2007, Georgia 2008, Ukraine 2014, we've seen an evolution in the way that NATO thinks about cyber defense. It's now very much become a political issue that's on, on the agenda of the North Atlantic Council. And with that has come important decisions politically, such as, for example, in 2014, the decision to recognize cyber defense as part of NATO's core task of collective defense, at the same time to recognize that international law applies in cyberspace. There are rules that govern this space, which is very important. We've also been working, as I said, become more operational in this area by recognizing cyberspace as a domain of operations, where we need to be just as effective in cyberspace as we are in the air 
on land and at sea. Also working to help allies build their resilience through initiatives such as the Cyber Defense Pledge. So it's been very dynamic uh, over the past decade or more. Our approach has evolved in a very measured and, and responsible way in, in, in response to, to, to some of the incidents that we've seen in, in the geopolitical events. Now in terms of, of where it's going, I would say NATO is continuing. We recognize that we've made a lot of progress in this area, but there's much more to be done, uh, which is why we're constantly looking at ways to boost our capabilities to ensure that the Alliance can deliver on its core task, for example, of collective defense. We're looking at ways to help allies enhance their resilience by sharing that best practice, uh, what's going on nationally uh, in the field of education and training, for example, or exercises. How can we help allies to raise their overall level of cyber defense? And third, I would say uh, we continue to look at building partnerships, which are essential. Uh, we like to say at NATO that cyber is a team sport, and so we've been doing a lot of work to try to develop our relationships with other countries, with other international organizations, such as the European Union, and with industry and academia. And I think especially as we're seeing a lot of talk now in terms of where technology is headed, uh, we're doing a lot of work in thinking about innovation, about emerging technologies, and how for the last 70 years, NATO has been preventing conflict and, and helping to preserve peace, how we remain fit for purpose for the next 70 years when it comes to the development of technology and keeping up with the pace of innovation. For me, the, the strategy challenge uh, is, is, is key and I know that NATO is very pleased to be a sponsor uh, of this event. And what's, what's so important is that it captures what we deal with in terms of cyber defense uh, on a daily basis. And that is that you have to take incidents, you have to take a situation, you have to analyze it, uh, and then you have to make policy recommendations and present that then to, to, your, to your decision makers. So what the strategy challenge does is it, it brings that to life, if you like, and it involves students, it involves graduates, and in that sense, it, it helps to train that next generation, which, which is so important, and not just sitting in a classroom and learning about how to write a policy brief, but really put in front of a group of judges, you're given a scenario and you need to present it. And that's a very practical application of what we do on a daily basis. So that's why I think it makes it unique in that sense. And it also brings together the stakeholders that we work with on a daily basis. So be it from academia or from industry or from governments or from international organizations like the one I represent. So for me, the, the strategy challenge really has the whole package in, in that sense, which is why uh, we're really uh, excited to, to support that initiative. And moving forward, that's exactly what we need. We need people who have different backgrounds, who can spot issues, who can analyze them and package that, tailor that in a way then that informs decisions, uh, which is what this field is all about. So I think uh, the strategy challenge in particular uh, equips the, the next generation to deal with those things, let alone the next generation, but also for the judges, we get quite a lot out of it because I can tell you, I learned quite a bit from them too in their responses. That was a great idea. That was a really well done. So once again, it's it's not just a one-way street in that sense. It's, it's very uh, dynamic and I, I think the GCSB, the Atlantic Council, do a great job in, in making sure that there's uh, that two-way street. How will you know when you're in a crisis and what are you going to do to ride the storm? Many organisations will face a crisis in today's complex and volatile environment. Leaders need to understand the characteristics of a crisis and what they can do to prepare themselves and their organisations to survive. I am David Horobin. I am the GCSB's course director for crisis management navigating the storm.
At the Geneva Centre for Security Policy, we are acutely aware of the challenges facing leaders when confronted with a crisis that may severely impact an organisation. Together, we examine the anatomy of crisis events, discuss contemporary methodologies and tools to improve resilience and enhance preparedness. Using carefully designed simulations, we help you develop the skills and trust needed to face any crisis. We can help you develop your awareness and leadership style to assess and then mitigate the threat and risks for any crisis. We have proven tools and techniques designed by experts in their field that you can apply to your crisis preparedness and reduce the fear you may have when faced with a catastrophic event. Come and test your crisis skills and assess what you need to change in your organisation. Understand how other experts do things and get inspired to better protect your future. We must take a forward-looking approach to issues surrounding international security policy amongst its wide group of stakeholders to support more effective strategic planning and better decision-making today. We spoke to Dr Wendy Schultz, Director at Infinite Futures, who shared with us her thoughts on strategic foresight. What is the main focus on futures? Well, I would say the, the underlying um, key futures principle is to think differently about the future, to think in terms of multiple possible futures, and to think also about what you really want for the future, what you'd, what you'd prefer as a future, and that whatever actual future we end up in is going to be a dialogue between the possibilities and our preferences. So the image of the future, the stories we tell about the future, and that balance or tension between what's possible, the what if, and what we want, the what do I value, is, is really key in futures. Why should we study futures methods? It's interesting as a discipline because, of course, unlike other disciplines, we can't actually go study the future. I can't transport myself into the future and be a good observant researcher. So many of our uh, other scholarly colleagues laugh at us and say we can't be disciplined because we can't actually observe and collect facts. Or in short, there are no future facts. So what we can do, first of all, is ask people what their images of the future are and look at images of the future that are out there in culture and compare those. We can create um, exploratory, as I said, images of the future. So the, the trick about futures methods is that they have to be rigorous in terms of collecting data on the changes that have happened in the past and that are happening in the present that we can observe. What is your experience with the GCSP? What is fantastic about the courses here is that they bring in students from a wide variety of professional disciplines who are all managing different, different responsibilities, um, engaging at different levels of leadership, of strategic thinking. They are from countries all across the world. So you have both professional diversity and actual cultural diversity. And they're all here eager to acquire new tools and to practice with them and to learn from each other. So you have a lot of intellectual and creative strengths in the room. And at the same time, because people are working together on both, um, in both discussions and in applied examples of some of the tools that, that GCSP teaches, they're also forming bonds. And so they're creating a professional network that they can carry forward moving out of this particular, any particular course that they're taking here. It's intellectually enriching, it's very creative, and it's a lot of fun. Organisations must be prepared for a variety of possible threats in today's world and ready to take advantage of opportunities 
both of which may appear in different forms than in the past and which will call for more varied responses. We discuss strategic foresight and analysis with Dr. Bastian Gigerich, the Director of Defence and Military Analysis at the International Institute for Strategic Studies. I think in the policy environment where foresight really comes in is to help people think about plausible future developments before they occur. So it creates, it's meant to create the mental space and the knowledge to prepare for future contingencies and uh, in, that, in that way prepare yourself for, uh, for, future, for the future. It's not meant to be a prediction. It's not about knowing what will happen. It is about preparing uh, for different contingencies and for different uh, futures that are out there. Okay, and what role can it play in strengthening policy? I think it can help inform decisions. Uh, it is not a tool um, to, uh, on its own, perhaps uh, justify certain spending decisions and so on and so forth. But it, it helps people uh, uh, get orientation in an, in an age of uncertainty. It is, it is meant to manage uncertainty. It helps uh, in a policy environment to clarify goals, to define uh, strategies to reach these goals. And from that, derive uh, uh, decision-relevant insights that then can be taken forward to inform strategy processes, to uh, uh, inform approaches to different markets, uh, if you're in the private sector or in a, in a more policy-oriented uh, setting, uh, it might help you clarify your level of ambition in a particular policy sector. So that's really where it helps. And think about foresight not as an event, but as a process, as something that you seek to do again and again as you, as you move through time. Uh, it's not a one-off thing. Uh, it's only useful, actually, if you keep doing it. If you want that to be successful, I would argue you would really need to invest in a specific module in your project that works on implications. So what you're trying to do is, through foresight, you project your, yourself forwards, whatever the time horizon is that you're interested in, 10 years, 15 years, something like that. But then you cast your eye back to what are the decisions that now need to be taken in order to prepare uh, for a variety of futures. So, so you design implications that matter now. Um, that's how you get attention. You also probably should invest some time in defining indicators um, that enable decision makers to see whether uh, developments are moving in the direction that you thought about or are they taking a turn in a different direction. Um, that's important to know uh, and that shows how foresight helps uh, if it is done as a process. Uh, and if you, if you do these things, you also ensure that a project doesn't just end with a report or a workshop, but it, it generates a dynamic that actually helps the organization well beyond those initial steps. Well, that's all for today's podcast for the GCSP. Thanks for listening and thank you to Chelsea Slack for joining us, along with Dr. Bastian Geigerich and Dr. Wendy Schultz. Join us again next week to hear all the latest insights on international peace and security. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until then, bye for now.